0: you. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. I've really been looking forward to this time. Uh, It's always an awkward moment when you're finishing a book of the Bible that has long been taught on in the church. So I don't know what has taken place in the history of that uh, teaching, um, but I can tell you that I'm excited about the message that we have before us. Uh, again, my name's Rob Douglas. I just entered or just completed my 30th year of pastoral ministry uh, this year. And uh, so that's, that's a joy. And we're going to, in a moment, get to the one of the, my favorite things to do is just open God's word. Uh, as was said, I just returned last night, uh, I overnighted in London because uh, my flight to London was uh, uh, caught up with bad weather. So we tried to land, Uh, the plane was shaking terribly, couldn't land, people were getting sick and having anxiety attacks. And it's amazing in that flight attendant came to me afterwards, she goes, you are so peaceful. I said, yeah, I have a lot of peace. And to be able to say in the midst of that, I just rested and uh, we ended up being diverted to Frankfurt, spent two or three hours there, then flew back into London, missed my flight in on Friday night into Houston. So then uh, they stuck me in an airport hotel with three other people from the country in which I'd been serving. And so I had the chance to meet with them and build some relationship and share a little bit about our, our savior with them and caught the flight out yesterday, only to arrive late in Houston and had to run through the airport. They didn't get my suitcase on the plane, but I made it here. And so I was the last one on the plane. I think they actually held it for me. And so I'm very grateful to be here. The text this morning is an interesting one. Uh, When you read books of scripture, sometimes you read them and you find high points that feel like they're in the middle. But really as you look at this book of Ephesians, this letter to the church in Philippi, you find it really crescendoing, coming to an ascension point here at the end. And you see it through a number of different lenses. So you see the Apostle Paul as he's writing to dear friends people he's been with on a number of occasions that love him deeply and whom he loves deeply. And in that kind of a relationship, sometimes if you stand next to people who've known and loved each other for a long time, sometimes you can feel like an outsider because you you get this line drawing, but you don't see all the color of the story. And so we're gonna look back even into Acts chapter 16 a little bit where you see a little bit of the story in Philippi uh, here in a moment. And, and so just realize, what we find in the book of Philippians is this letter to people that are dearly loved. And you see this theme of partnership. Uh, for me, that's a powerful theme, though it's not where we're going to focus all our attention. But the year was 2003. I was pastoring in Greenville, Pennsylvania, where I served for 18 years before entering into district ministry in western Pennsylvania. And as I was pastoring there, we called a a pastor and his wife to come on staff with the express purpose of sending them overseas to the Middle East. In 2003, we had the privilege of sending them out. And I told them, during your first term, I will come and pray with you. And I will lay hands on you and pray for peace and strength and minister to you during that time so now it's 2006 and as a church family we took about a month to take up a love offering and so you're you're hearing some similarity in story between what's happening with the apostle paul here he's received this love gift from the church in philippi and so i i get there on the ground at about two in the morning to their house about four we stayed up till the sun was coming up over the mediterranean just sharing stories and i remembered this love gift that I ran into the bedroom and dug out of my hand carry and I gave it to my friends, Joel and Sally. And Sally said, Rob, what is this for? And I said, I don't really know. I said, we were prompted to give and out of our plenty, our prayer is that this would be for your want, that the Lord would use this for blessing. Said, maybe it's to help a student at the school where you teach. Maybe it's so you can go on a vacation you desperately need. And then I said this. I said, or maybe it's just in case you ever need to be evacuated, you would have funds to do so. She looked at me and said, Rob, why did you say that? I said, I don't know. It's just what I felt prompted to say. I left their country, and 10 days later, bombs began to fall like rain. And it was those funds, given out of love for ones we deeply loved, that were the tool God used in the midst of their need. We reflected on that as I was with them again. And even just Thursday night, as I met with students they've been teaching who have fled for their lives because they've turned to faith in Jesus from a majority religion that would cause their parents and siblings to have to kill them and take their lives, who are now studying at the school to be pastors back to these kinds of people. That's a similar text that Paul could even look at and say, Hey, Church of Philippi, you are these kinds of dearly loved people. So as we look at the text today, let's keep those kinds of images of deep friendship, and yet in the midst of pain, oftentimes throughout the text, you can find Paul referring to hardship, to difficulty. He's not writing a letter to Philippi in the midst of the easy circumstances of life. He's writing during a time of imprisonment under the emperor Nero. Nero is known for his hatred of the church. In fact, stories are legend about the terrible, terrible, terrible ways he killed and persecuted Christians during his reign as emperor. And it's during this season that Paul is writing to us from a Roman prison and under arrest at times as you listen and read the text, it's almost like you can hear in the background the clank of chains. He is not in an easy place. He's in a place of trial. And so as we come, even this morning, to the text, you have trials you're carrying. You have weariness that you bear. You have sadness and griefs that you have been journeying through. I love the songs we sang this morning, and well done at listening to the voice of the Spirit as you pick them out. For they follow well with the text of today, of a person who loves his people, but doesn't want to point to their gift as much as he wants to point to his Savior. And that's what we find over and over today. Let's pray again before we head into the text. Father, uh, my body is weak this morning. I'm feeling jet lag upon me, but I just confess, greater are you, Lord Jesus Christ, who is in us than the one who is in the world. Greater are you than the strength of our bodies. And so Holy Spirit, would you come upon us now for this task of opening your word and understanding it and applying it to our lives in this day and age. So make it come alive with the power it was intended to have, to bring encouragement, to give guidance, to give leadership, to give understanding, that we may walk as wise people, not defiled by the world, but living in victory in the midst of its struggles. So may that be true this morning as we open your word together. And to this end, I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, Philippians chapter four, we're going to start here in verse 10 and what I'd like to do is go ahead and read through the text as a whole and then we'll kind of come back as we we journey through this text. So Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. So here you hear this partnership image just beginning here in this section. Uh, Indeed you have been concerned but you have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So, as we again look at the text, I want us to just think for a moment about the trials we walk through. It could be trials of the distractions that want to pull us away from our focus on Christ, it could be losses, it could be grief, it could be financial struggles in the midst of inflation. It could be sickness, it could even be death, it could be marriage struggles, it could be church struggles. Any of these kinds of trials of life are things that you could hang on to, and yet in the text you could see Paul speaking about similar kinds of needs that he has also carried, and it's in the midst of the weight of that that he begins the task of saying, hey rejoice church, rejoice, don't ever forget this message, rejoice. And so we could look today and focus on partnership, or we could look today and say, hey, let's discuss the key themes of the book, or we could focus on the closing salutation, which by the way, is probably the only section of the letter Paul wrote. It's thought that he spoke maybe to a scribe, maybe to Dr. Luke, who was with them often, and Luke wrote the letter, but then in the very last couple verses, much like in Galatians chapter 6, where you would find Paul saying, Hey, see with which large letters I write. So it's thought even these last few verses are the only ones that possibly he actually by his own hand penned. We could look at all those things. But as I prayed in reading and preparing and prayed for you, I want to just focus our attention on three key life lessons for the journey. For the journey. Not for just the high times, not for the easy times, but especially for the journey that takes us through the valley. And what do we learn from one who's walked the valley in this text that can take us as people who live in a persevering, secure, strong way in the midst of this valley moment. So, first of all, I want to turn your attention to rejoice greatly. That's what Paul's calling the Philippian church to. He says this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Uh, I don't know if you've walked through how many times the word rejoice. By my count, it's about 16 times or so where rejoice or some equivalent is used throughout this four-chapter letter that we have before us. Let me recount some of them for you. Philippians 1, 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He's remembering this friendship with great joy at God's working. Philippians 1 18 but what does it matter the important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice yes and I will continue to rejoice so imagine he's in prison now he's saying I'm rejoicing other people are doing what they're doing to cause conflict to cause struggle to cause trial but yes I'm going to keep rejoicing no matter what happens on the outside, no matter what happens in the prison cell, this is my heart. He goes on in 125, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress in joy in the faith. This is his longing and desire. He's gonna pray for their joy in their faith in Christ. And I'll just hit a couple more. Verse Chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore my brothers, You whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And then just a couple verses earlier, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. It's easy in just reading this focus on rejoicing to forget Paul's writing from prison. He's writing in circumstances where people around him in conflict, where the culture of the day is not loving those who are following after Christ. We can resonate with some of those things, even as Paul is writing them to us. Keep your finger here in Philippians 4 and maybe turn over back with me to Acts chapter 16. Paul is in Philippi. You might remember the story of him coming there about the man from Macedonia calling over. And here he is now in Philippi, and you find him with Lydia, the seller of purple. And then you find this interesting story about a slave girl who was a fortune teller by demonic spirits harassing the apostle Paul, and and he commands the demonic spirits to leave, and that's where we pick up in the text here in verse 19. It says, When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. The crowd join in the attack, so it's not just these leaders, but the whole crowd joins in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And if you were to go on in the text, you find out how this jailer now comes to also follow after Jesus Christ. My point in going back to Acts chapter 16 is to say that Paul's call to rejoice is clearly seen in the prison and trial moments of life. And the Philippians to whom he's writing know the story well. They know well how the community community rose to beat Paul and Silas. They know well the story of how Paul and Silas, in the midst of being whipped and beaten and abused and chained and now in prison, don't sit with worry and confusion and hopelessness in their eyes on the circumstance, but over and over lift their eyes to Jesus Christ and the victory of Jesus Christ. He is truly our sure and steady anchor in the midst of the trials of life. So the question I have for us as we look at this partnership and at Paul's relationship with the Philippians and his call to them rejoice even when they see their brother in prison. Why do we struggle so in rejoicing? Why do we, in the midst of our struggle, struggles, struggle so in rejoicing? Sometimes we're caught up in the mundane of life. Life life has has become a routine or a rhythm day by day by day. and, And we lose focus and our eyes get turned from Jesus Christ. Sometimes we struggle in the midst of conflict that we find ourselves in. And sometimes the struggle seems more real than the person of Christ who we love. And so we allow the shift to happen where Christ, instead of becoming primary, becomes secondary. And the struggles become more real. Paul had the opportunity to let that happen day after day and moment after moment. And yet through history, he calls out to us today in 2022, and he calls out to you as Frac family. He says, don't lose your focus. Turn your eyes to worship the king. Rejoice in the one who is always faithful. He is your surety and your security in the midst of all the struggles of life. I want you to note well this challenge from Paul. You see, Paul talks in just a few verses earlier at the beginning of chapter 4 about Yodia and Syntyche, these two women in conflict with each other. And this is heavy on Paul's mind, yet in the midst of that, Paul continues to say, rejoice in the Lord, I say it again, rejoice in the midst of conflicts that are abounding around you. It was Charles Spurgeon who wrote this. He said, people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among, among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord." So what I see from Paul about rejoicing, he's saying relational struggles do not have the right to steal the rejoicing heart from the believer. And if in your life, discord, trials, struggles have turned your heart from a rejoicing life, I would call you this morning to shift your attention back on the Savior to a heart of rejoicing, to recalibrate your perspective today. Circumstantial struggles of imprisonment, of financial difficulty, of all manner of struggles and discomfort have no right for the believer to steal from us a rejoicing heart. And the Apostle Paul has modeled that well through the text. Financial ins- insecurity and uncertainty. All the externals have no right to steal from us the celebration of the reign of our King in our souls today. And I would call that to you from the Apostle Paul today. So, how is it with you? Maybe at this point in your notes or on your phone, you just want to say, how am I going to focus on rejoicing in Jesus? To reshift my focus towards him. I think Paul is giving us clues in these points we're making today about how he makes it through difficulty. What are the lessons for us in the journey of life? We can walk through the valley, but not have our soul in its depths. We can walk through the valley, yet be anchored to Christ, who is still victorious even in the trial times. Paul's modeling that for us. So how is it with you? Secondly, today, I would turn to the content, where he is saying, I am content in every circumstance, Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every and, in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. F.F. F. Bruce, the commentator, says this. He says, a person could not be a citizen of Tarsus, where Paul is from, without Adequate resources and significant means. So here's Paul who lived with significant resources now to having nothing, right? And he calls to us and he says, what does it look like in your day to live with contentment? Spurgeon says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am wherewith to be content. Here's Paul. He's an old, gray-headed man upon the borders of the grave. A poor prisoner shut up in Nero's dungeon at Rome. So this is what he has left at the end of his life. He has poverty. He has pain. He has discomfort. And death is impending for him. And he has said, in this I am content. You know, here in America... We live with such a striving mentality. We strive for more. How much do you need? Well, just a little bit more. How much should you get? Well, just a little bit more. And it's pushing for more and more and more, thinking that that little bit more will give us the contentedness that we seek and we long for. And it doesn't. And so the world searches after all sorts of things to find contentment. And Paul says, whether I'm in plenty. So in times of plenty, we have to be careful because it's in those times of plenty where David, as he stays back from war, in the time, in the spring of the year when the kings normally go off to war, they say, hey, David, you've done enough battles. We've really got this one covered. It's in that moment of comfort, of safety, of plenty that David sins with Bathsheba. See, friends, I am not convinced that plenty and success is the pathway to victory. In fact, I believe more often that it's in our times of want that we learn the greatest lessons of life in our victory with Jesus. Think about James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, in the book of James, they're calling to us and saying, hey, don't seek after the flesh as a means for contentment. Paul has learned through the journey of pain and trial, shipwrecks, beatings, abuse, that contentment is only found one place, and it is in the life of and the person and submission to Jesus Christ. And so he calls to us through the ages, church, in America, in a place that seeks after wealth, that seeks after privilege, that seeks after position. He calls to us and says, don't seek those things. That is not the treasure that is best of all the greater treasure is contentment. And it's almost like Paul is weaving this rope. He's saying, rejoice is one strand, and then he's adding another strand of contentment. And he's saying, if you want to live the victorious life anchored into Jesus Christ, that rope must include these ingredients to take us through to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, to take us through to hope and surety that lasts in the midst of the struggles of life. And so whether we're in want, going through trial, going through difficulties, going through all manners of uncertainty, the question is, will you live with contentment first in Jesus that isn't anchored to what the world wants you to chase after? So we can chase after many things, power and position. We can chase after wealth. We can chase after relationships. People get anxious all the time when relationships aren't going the way they want, and yet, here's Paul. And yet in the midst of his difficulty, you find him being a witness to the prison guard, to those uh, soldiers who are under Caesar's control, making an incredible impact for the gospel of Christ. And so the question comes to us: How content are you today? Did something stir you up on your way to church? The driver who cut you off, financial concerns, an argument with a loved one? Or did you come this morning, find your heart at rest with contentment with Jesus Christ reigning in your life? And the final thought I would draw your attention to that you've heard a couple times already is this idea of Paul's dependency on Christ. Paul can't hardly utter a sentence in the text without saying it's about faith in Christ. It's about love for Christ. It's about our joy and crown in Christ. It's about your sacrifice for the glory of Christ. He always wants to draw our attention back to Jesus Christ. Think about this just in these verses. In verse 10, Paul rejoices in the Lord. In verse 13, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In verse 17, I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. In verse 18, Paul speaks of this sacrifice. It's a fragrant offering. Like Old Testament sacrifice images being burned up to be this aroma of beauty to Christ. In verse 19, he speaks about how God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And in the concluding remarks, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. In verse 21, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. In verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. It is so easy to be distracted. And Paul calls through us to us, through the ages. And he says, don't ever stop rejoicing. It's in rejoicing that your eyes shift from your circumstances to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't stop fixing your eyes on Christ, for he is the one who causes your heart to be still and content in the midst of all the turbulence of life. And finally, live, live, live in the fullness of Jesus because your heart is anchored to him because you have made the will filled choice to depend on him is your highest goal your greatest joy your most faithful love live dependent on Christ Jesus so how is it for you today maybe this last week you look at the days and And it's been a long time since you've been faithful and even just reading the Bible to take time doing devotions, to spend time in his word and to meditate on his goodness. Maybe you've got more fixated upon problems than on Christ himself. My call from the Apostle Paul to us today is to turn your attention to Christ and to ask him, Lord, What would it look like for me today to live more dependent on you? That upon my own strength, upon my own abilities, upon others around me, what would it look like? I was telling Stacy this morning, I was thinking this last week about hymns. I had the privilege Thursday night, I I went to the airport at 4 a.m. Middle East time. But Thursday night we spent several hours with Bible school students who are paying great price for just fervent commitment to Jesus, and they asked me at the end to just pray over them a blessing, and as I stood there and prayed over them, I just stood and wept, thinking about what an incredible privilege it is to see such deep dedication for Jesus Christ in the midst of trial. Of course, I've been thinking about this text a lot in that journey, too. We sang for over an hour together. They would sing in Arabic, and then we'd sing hymns in English, and then they would sing in Arabic, and we would sing in English. We were rejoicing. And we found our souls deeply content in the presence of Jesus, knowing that he alone satisfies. Reminds me of that old hymn, All My Life Long. Um, man, I can't pull it up right now, but just talking about this longing Christ in the midst of trial and I just copied down the words of this hymn it's called It Will Be Worth It All it says sometimes the day seems long our trials are hard to bear we are tempted to complain to murmur and despair but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away all tears forever over in God's eternal day it will be worth it all When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely, Frack family, bravely run the race till we see Christ. Our treasure is not here, but we are to be anchored firmly in heaven. May God bless you. Worship team, will you come? I'm going to just pray for you here briefly and then do a benediction in a few moments. But as the worship team leads us, if you would like to come forward for prayer, the elders will be here to pray with you. So, Lord Jesus, even as you've been speaking through your word already, would you now continue to speak? Lord, if there's areas of discontent with you, if there's areas of distraction we've been holding on to is more important than you. Would you turn our affections to you today? That our greatest love would be you, Jesus Christ, and our greatest longing to follow after you. So anything in me, Lord, would you speak to me about it? Anything in us, would you speak to us about it? That we may submit and surrender and follow your leadership. We love you, Jesus, and long to follow you wholeheartedly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.